for um, prayer request. Tom and Teresa got a date for moving their furniture, uh, with clean, new clean furniture, into their new apartment. So that's towards the end of the month, so that's a praise. Um, I saw John a couple days ago, and he's pretty steady at this point. Um, he, he, did, he was sleeping a lot, so um, he was able to communicate a little bit. So keep John and Darla in your prayers. Uh, the groups in Mexico, uh, Kevin and Mike and Kara, so they'll be um, starting VBS tomorrow. So, uh, any, uh, Marna, how was your uh, trip? Well, you can trust all those agencies, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry for being cynical. <laughs> All right, any other prayer requests, Tom? And oh yeah. Yeah, Tom's friend had been praying for Don, uh, so that was good. Yes, Teresa's. Uh, friends in Vermont. There's apparently 100-year flooding there, so uh, keep them in your mind, or uh, prayers in your mind as you uh, think about them. So, All right. Let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we are privileged to come to you. We can bring our requests before you. You have told us to bring our requests. We can come boldly or confidently because of our Savior and Mediator, Jesus Christ. We take great comfort in that, that you hear us and that uh, you treat us as children, your own children, just as you would treat your son. Just thank you for some of the things that have happened, uh, for Myrna and the safety that was there in the protest. We pray also for this election in Ohio coming up on August 8th. It would be our desire, Lord, to see that um, the yes vote would be approved and the Constitution would be changed. And, f- and looking forward to this horrific abortion bill that's proposed in November. Lord, we can hardly even believe um, some of the language, uh, but we uh, trust in you, the living God. Thank you for Tom and Teresa being able to get a date. Uh, pray for Teresa's friends and, uh, in Vermont and just all the... the one deals with a fire here and moving. Others deal with flooding around the country, even heat. Pray for John and Darla. I just ask that your hand would continue to be upon them. Shepherd John um, in the valley of the shadow of death. Help him to fear no evil. Help him to trust you even in difficult times. Help Darla also. Pray for the logistics, Lord, uh, of just some of the things that have to be taken care of yet. Pray for the one that may be here today that hears the gospel every week, and we're going to talk about that this morning, and uh, has never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, that today may be the day. Think of those in Mexico also from our church, and just ask for your safety, and may it be a profitable week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're moving into Romans chapter 11. Um, The... 
Romans 11, it's important for us to remember uh, the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11 uh, go together. Uh, this section is where the Apostle Paul is specifically is dealing with the uh, nation of Israel and uh, particular how God deals with the nation of Israel in the past and in the future. Uh, we see this confirmed. Look back at chapter 9 a minute. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. You see the continuity here. Uh, there's an old phrase, context is king. And, of course, the context of this uh, portion is 9, 10, and 11. So if you look back at 9, 1, Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I wish that I could myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, of whom pertain the adoption. And he goes on, the covenants, the giving of the law, the services of God, the promises, and then the greatest gift, verse 5, uh, in whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all eternal, blessed God. So in chapter 9, Paul picks up this thought about the Jews and, he, and that he would... Um, be a curse. Turn to chapter 10. Uh, let's look at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 10. Again, just so we get the context here. Uh, I know this is review, but it's important for us to know this. Paul says here, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. So exactly the same thing that he had in chapter 9. He's carrying over into chapter 10. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So there's this common theme between chapter 9, the Jews and the salvation of the Jews, the rejecting of the gospel in chapter 10. Now if you turn over to chapter 11, uh, you'll see, um, look at verses uh, 1 and 2 here. Uh, he says, I, I say then, has God cast away his people? Who are his people? Is it the Gentiles or is it his elect? Specifically, context is king. It's the Jews. And he's made that clear. Or the Israelites. And then he says, in verse 11, certainly not. We'll talk about that later. For I also am an Israelite. So he defines it here again. Chapter 9, 10, and 11. Of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknow, or do you not know that the scripture says, and then he goes on and talks about Elijah, we'll talk about that. So there seems to be this casting away in chapters 9 that Israel has rejected the gospel completely. <laughs> in chapter 10, uh, as Ty uh, did a nice job on dealing with the, um, the call of Israel and really the, um, the, the call of the gospel for Israel. Here in chapter 11, Paul's going to answer the question, that, and that is really, has God cast off Israel? Is Israel done? Did God reject Israel in the past? Is that a final uh, rejection? So uh, here in chapter 9, uh, Paul reminds us that even though Israel as a nation was called out and a special people, and in chapter 9 we remember uh, that they were given the covenants, the laws, the promises of God. Israel was also the nation that came through that came that through the, uh, the birth of Christ, uh, the God-man and the Messiah. 
And so dealing with this nation as a whole, Paul concludes that Israel has rejected Christ. However, Paul also reminds us that God's sovereign electing grace by choosing out of the Jews uh, Abraham uh, as a vessel of salvation. And so uh, we saw that in chapter 9 that uh, God pulled out Abraham. Uh, He was an idolater. idolater. He had uh, other family, but he chose Abraham. And then um, he, uh, out of Abraham, uh, became the Jews and his vessel for salvation. So Paul makes it clear that God's sovereign choice is his own, and no one can argue with it. And we saw that in chapter 11, uh, 9. In fact, we read in 9 or 18, speaking of God, Therefore he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he will he hardens. Excuse me. So God's sovereign choice is to have mercy and to harden. And we'll look at that word hard here uh, again uh, this morning. But at the end of chapter 9, we are given by Paul his, con- his conclusion of the current state of Israel and the Jews. Uh, and we read that in the chapter 9, verse 33, uh, excuse me, 30 through 33. What shall we say then that the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained to righteousness, even to the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the the law of righteousness has not attained it to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith as it were written by works of the law. For they, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written. And he says, Behold, I lay in Zion, speaking of Christ, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. So the current state of Israel and the Jews as a nation is that they have rejected God. And that started back way back even before Christ came. It was certainly magnified, as, uh, as Acts reminds us, it is the Jews that crucified Christ. It was also God's sovereign plan, but it was the Jews who were responsible. So uh, as a whole here, um, we see in chapter 10, um, look at verses 8 through 13, and we see uh, what what. Ty reminded us of last week. I'm trying to tie all this together because it's important that we keep this in context here, um, that uh, we, we do not uh, lose uh, focus here. Chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 10, verses 8 uh, through 13. Uh, he, he says here, But what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture said, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all, which is rich to all who calls upon all, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Jew and Gentile. So here in chapter 9, we saw God has, uh, as it were, re- uh, has elected out of uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we'll talk about Esau here in a minute. In chapter 10 here, here's this free call of the gospel. The free offer of the gospel is given to the Jews, even the Jews that have rejected God, and it's also given to the Gentiles. And he concludes here, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved, Jew and Gentile. So the offer of the gospel is still out there. Israel as a nation, as a people, have rejected Christ, but that doesn't 
mean that the offer of the gospel should not go forth to them. And here uh, we'll see this um, as we uh, get, uh, get farther on uh, into this chapter. So uh, any, any thoughts or comments about the continuity here? Okay, good. All right, let's go in chapter 10. Uh, Paul deals with the fact now that Israel's rejection is not total. The question would arise, and we'll see this as, uh, as Paul is writing, well, if, if they've rejected Israel and there's a free offer of the gospel in chapter 10 and they've not re- responded to it, is, is, is Israel as a nation or is it, are the Jews finished? Are they done? And Paul's going to answer that question here in chapter 11. And uh, depending on some of your points of views, you're going to come to probably different conclusions. Uh, maybe than what I am, but um, I think it's pretty clear here that at least that's Paul's intent here. Uh, he's going to deal uh, with the fact that Israel's rejection is not total. Uh, in fact, we will see that uh, the great mystery is that Israel's rejection was in part God's eternal purpose and plan to bring the Gentiles to salvation. Now, this is where the mystery gets really big because God chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and they rejected him as a nation. They're responsible. They've refused to free offer the gospel, chapter 10. However, God, we're going to learn here in chapter 11 that part of God's sovereign plan was the Jews would reject the gospel for the Gentiles' sake. Um, I know it, it's, it's the big picture here. And, but when we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to see that uh, there's a purpose in God's plan for why he did all this. So just keep that as an overview. Um, Look at at the end of chapter 11, verse 25. Uh, Paul says here, um, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel, Unto the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And then in verse 26, so all Israel will be saved, it is written. So this is part of that great mystery. Why did God call a nation? Why did he bless them? Why did they reject him? Why did they refuse to come? Why did he harden them? Part of it is for the saving of the Gentiles. And uh, Paul calls it a mystery. And I'm not sure I can describe it much more than that, uh, but it is uh, God's uh, mystery. So, like chapters 9 and 10, Romans 11 uh, has some difficult uh, topics and, and, and uh, some difficult uh, present uh, interpretive challenges. Uh, in the middle of the chapter, we'll look at Paul's meaning of the analogy of the olive tree and its wild and natural branches. What does that mean? He seems to just insert this right in the middle of the chapter about an olive tree, wild and, uh, branches and natural branches. And then towards the end of the chapter, we'll be confronted with Paul's ver- words at verse 26, all Israel will be saved. And then uh, in verse 29, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? Does that mean that uh, we'll look at what I think that means and then you can um, discuss it and we'll talk about it. Uh, what does it mean for the Jews? What does it mean for Israel that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable? And then the bigger question is, what's it mean for us um, as, uh, as uh, 
Christians in a, in a modern society, what does it mean for us as a nation uh, and, and for the nation of Israel? So uh, anyway, that's kind of an overview um, of Romans 11, getting us back to 9, 10, and 11 together. Uh, any, any thoughts or questions, comments? Apparently, that's clear to everybody. So, good. All right. Let's turn back to Romans 11. And we'll read through here. Um, Samuel, would you mind reading uh, the first six verses, Romans 11? Uh, Would you mind standing up so we can all hear you? That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Again, this is, uh, keep in mind historically, this is a letter. Paul wrote this letter. It's a continual thought. So if you were at the church and uh, they were reading this, they would be reading this as a continual letter from page to page, page to page here. Um, And so uh, this is a uh, perfect example, uh, Romans 11, the division between 10 and 11 uh, is a perfect example of why chapter divisions are not always inspired. And we'll see that here in a minute. Uh, it's helpful in some cases, but it can also lead to confusion. Uh, just as a side note, um, I looked up this week uh, about, uh, you remember that the Bible was written uh, without chapters and verses. It was written just as a letter. And so I looked up this week uh, a man named Stephen Langton, in about 1220 A.D., was the first to divide the Bible into chapters. And then a Jewish rabbi named Nathan and was the first to divide the Old Testament into verses. In about 1555, a man named Stephanus used the same pattern to divide the New Testament into verses. So there was chapters, and then verses were eventually added. Really, it's for our benefit. We can memorize things and we can, we can reference things. But if you can only imagine um, trying to teach through this, you would have to stop at the end of page 1 or whatever it would be, or page 9. Um, the uh, modern, uh, since that time, since about 1555, uh, beginning with the Geneva Bible, the chapters and verse divisions have remained very similar to our Bible today. So, um, if anybody really cares about that, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, how did we how did we get to this point? But my point is, we're reading this as a letter. We're reading this as uh, one uh, continual thought. So, um, okay, back to chapter 11. What we find in the first couple of verses of chapter 11 is Paul answering the question that would logically arise from the end of chapter 10. Uh, 
verses 19 through 21. MacArthur says, the question is, is God setting the side of Israel for rejecting Christ permanent? So if you're reading this letter, and being read to you, and you come to the end of chapter 10, your logical conclusion, and Paul, remember, he's operated here as a lawyer or as, a, as an orator as he's writing this, and he, so he's anticipating logical questions. And so as you're reading through this letter and you come to the end of chapter 10, the logical conclusion would be, uh, the logical question would be, has God rejected Israel forever? Is it permanent? Is it permanent or is it not? And so that's what MacArthur. So if you look back at chapter 10, look at verses 9 through, uh, excuse me, 19 through 21, and I'll show you the context here. But I say, at verse 19, did Israel not know? First, Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by foolish nations. That's the Gentiles. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by these who did not seek me. Again, the Gentiles. I was made manifest to those who did not ask me. But to Israel, he said, all day long I've stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrite people. And then the logical question is, what? Has God, notice from chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? So that's Paul's anticipating as what would be this logical question. Has God cast away Israel? If, if the Gentiles have started coming in and Israel's rejected me, has God? Uh, and, and Paul's answer is uh, certainly not uh, in verse 1. If you've been with us and uh, studying uh, through Romans, you'll know that this verse, that, that phrase, certainly not, has come up. Uh, many times, I believe it's translated ten times in Romans. It's going to be translated twice here uh, in this, uh, in chapter one, or verse one and verse eleven. Uh, some of your translations may translate it "God forbid." I think the Greek is uh, "megenete," um, and the, the idea is "never be said, never be said." So Paul is saying here, "I say then, has God cast away His people?" And the very first thing he says is, "No way." That has not happened. He has not cast away the Jews, uh, even though it looks like it. Uh, and uh, we would maybe come to that conclusion uh, is uh, God forbid. I think the King James translates it God forbid uh, that way. Um, so uh, may it never be said. So now we look here um, in verse 1. Uh, we, we see that Paul's going to give us two examples. Uh, first, his own personal testimony uh, in verses 1 and 2. And then he's going to call on an Old Testament story of Elijah to show that God has not cast away Israel uh, and it is not uh, permanent. Uh, the, um, let's look at verse 1 again. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people forever whom he foreknew. And then he goes on to talk about Elijah. So the first he uses himself as an example. If God's cast Israel away, why would he save me? And then he goes back to his heritage. Uh, We won't have time to look at it here. But you remember that Abraham was called out. And then Abraham had two sons, Ishmael. And Isaac, uh, one is called the son of promise, 
the other is called the son of the flesh. And through Isaac, we get Jacob and who else? Jacob and Esau. And what does Romans 9 tell us? Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. So God in his sovereignty picks out Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then from Jacob, uh, I hopefully you're somewhat familiar with this, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, they, they're not all Jacob's sons, but uh, Joseph receives two tribes, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. But, uh, and then Levi doesn't get a portion of the land. But there's 12 tribes. And then Paul is from this tribe of Benjamin. Notice here, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And so uh, Paul was saying that God uh, saves, he continues to save, maybe not in great numbers, but he has called out himself. Uh, so he rejects, uh, uh, he rejects the thought that God is not um, saving people. And then in verse 2 here, uh, Paul reminds us through his personal testimony that God is still saving the Jews. And then in verse 2, uh, we see that God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or who uh, do you know that the scripture says, Elijah, how he pleaded with God against Israel, saying, uh, God has uh, not rejected his people. Uh, we've seen that word foreknow or foreknew uh, in the past. Anybody remember we, we saw that at uh, in Romans? Romans 8:29, I believe it is. Did I write it up here? Yeah, Romans 8:29. It does has the idea. It's not the idea that God looked down through time and knew that man would make a choice. That's a bad interpretation and understanding of foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is God foreloved or He picked. He looked down through time and He picked out Isaac and He rejected Jacob or Esau. And so, uh, the, and Paul says here. God has not cast away his people who he foreknew or who he foreloved. Down through time, it may look to us that the Jews are finished. It may look to us that there's no hope for the Jews, uh, but um, that is not God's eternal plan. The disobedient people that are mentioned in chapter 10, verse 21, are the same people that Paul was referring to here in chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, and to make this point, he's going to take us back to the story in 1 Kings 19 about the prophet Elijah, uh, and then we see that in verse 3, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. Anybody remember the context of what happened there with Elijah in 1 Kings? What's the context there? Yeah. Yeah, so he's running from, he kills 450 prophets, and then next thing you know, he's running from this woman, scared to death, and he's hiding. And so Paul uh, picks up that story, and he says, uh, it looked bad for Elijah. And then he says, uh, in verse 3, here Elijah's complaining to God that all of Israel had forsaken God. They've killed the prophets, is what I, look at what he says. They've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm alone. I'm the only one left. That's it. Poor Elijah. He's, he's, uh, he's uh, down there and he's alone. And so uh, from Elijah's perspective here, uh, he's the only one left. 
He's the only one that's faithful to God. And then look at verse 4 here. But what does the divine response, or what does the scripture say to him? And this is God that answers this. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I always said that, Baal. I'm glad you said Baal. I figured your dad would have the right pronunciation there. So um, anyway, Baal or Baal is the uh, Phoenician god or Canaanite god of fertility. But uh, here's Elijah. He's just killed 400 prophets, and now he's running from uh, the king and queen, as it were, and he's hiding. He says, I'm the only one left. And then God comes and responds to him and says, I have 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee, who have not uh, succumbed uh, to the, uh, as it were, the religion of the land. Uh, I have, uh, and then in verse 5 here, uh, let's look at verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul's point here is, yes, he say God is not done with Israel. In fact, I can prove it. He saved me. I'm, a, I'm from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, from Benjamin. And by the way, he also had, when Elijah thought he was the only one left in the world, God says, I've got 7,000 people, uh, men who have not bowed uh, the knee to Baal. And then in verse 5, he says, then at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And you see God's hand working. It looks dark, right? It looks like there's no hope for Elijah. He's hiding after this. Ty says this great victory. And God says, by the way, there's 7,000 people you don't even know about. And they're, I, how do, what, why are they still faithful to me? Because of the election of grace. Because I have chosen them for my uh, special purpose. The Apostle Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, and he takes that Old Testament story and he applies it to the current situation. And notice here he says, um, and by in verse six, and if by, uh, uh, and in verse five, excuse me, at this present time is a remnant of grace, uh, according to the election of grace. Paul takes the Old Testament story and he applies it to today. He says there. If there was 7,000 men that didn't bow the knee to Baal, by the way, there's many today that you can't see that are chosen uh, remnant according to the election of grace. There's many Jews that are still coming to Christ uh, that you uh, can't even see. Uh, Paul wrote this letter in Romans around 56 A.D., the best I can tell. And by that time, uh, if there was 3,000 saved at Pentecost, uh, and uh, there's at least uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Jews that have become Christians and true followers of Christ. And they're in throughout the Roman Empire. And Paul uh, is reminding this, this little group over in Rome that God has not forsaken the Jews. Even though this is, he's an apostle to the Gentiles, even though the gospel is going primarily to the Gentiles, there's still Jews being saved. There was Jews being saved from, uh, from the time of Christ's resurrection, and there's still Jews being saved today. We may not see this great, uh, this great revival uh, that we will probably see one day, but notice that he says, even at this present time, right now, 
at the present time 2,000 years ago, and I would submit to you at this present time now, God is still doing a work uh, amongst the Jews uh, and the Jewish people. Uh, what Paul wanted the church at Rome to know, and for us today, that God did not then, nor does he ever completely reject Israel. God is not through with the Jews, uh, and, um, and he is going to continue to work in them. And I think that's what we'll find out in chapter 11, that there's going to be, uh, at some point, a revival of the Jews uh, to come to Christ. At, at verse 26, at the end of chapter, he says, all Israel will be saved. And we'll look at that when we get there uh, in a few weeks. So any thoughts or comments, questions? Okay. All right. Let me, uh, let me just say a word uh, to those who are in Christ. Uh, sometimes it's easy for us, like Elijah, to look around the world and see the condition of the church and be discouraged and even doubtful. We got this abortion uh, law that's being proposed in uh, November. Uh, it, it is so horrific. You can't, you can't even hardly talk about it. It's shameful uh, that we can uh, talk about having abortion up to the last uh, moment of conception or birth. Um, and, and, and we look around and we see things that um, I, I was uh, at a ball game last night and they were wearing these pride shirts and and it's, uh, it's easy for us to be discouraged and doubtful. Uh, but I, and I know this sounds simple, but we need to remind ourselves daily and sometimes hourly that God continues to reign. And, and we, we forget about that. I know I did. Elijah certainly forgot about it, right? And um, uh, he, God is not sitting in the heavens wondering how he can fix this situation. He's not discouraged. He's not perplexed. He has already preordained everything that will happen in the past and in the future, including the sacrifice of his own son for our sake. And so um, we have a God that we can trust. I wrote down a couple passages here. Let me just read them for you from the Old Testament. Uh, one is chapter 45 of Isaiah, verses 5 through 7. He, uh, the writer of Isaiah says, Speaking of God, there is no God but me. I will equip you for battle, though you have not known me, so that all may know from where the sun rises and where it sets that there is none but me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so um, it's, a, it's a good reminder when I read about Elijah hiding and having to call out to God that uh, sometimes in my own in our own day we get discouraged and and so uh, uh, the uh, it's just as a point of application here that there is a God who's in heaven He reigns He's not surprised He creates uh, prosperity and calamity both they are uh, both from the hand of God and in the New Testament uh, I. Uh, I can't hardly go a week without reading something from Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless 
in his presence. In love, he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. And then in verse 11, in him we have also been chosen in God's own, having been predestined according to the plan of whom who works everything by his counsel and his will, in order that we may be the first to hope in Christ, and we would be the praise of his glory. So I I would submit to you, we don't know the future. Um, We certainly could guess at it. We know that eventually we're going to end up in heaven, right? But the immediate future, uh, even two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, the nurse looked at John and said he's got two weeks left. And then a week later, she looks at him and says, well, maybe he's got a little longer than that. Um, So uh, we don't know our immediate future. Elijah didn't know it. Uh, But these are great promises, and, and they should bring us great hope. Just as Elijah was encouraged by God's word, I hope that um, today you will be uh, encouraged by by the word of God uh, that we've read here. So we've seen Paul answer the question, certainly not. The Jews are not cast off forever. And then Paul's example of his own self. Who would have ever thought that Paul would be saved? If, if you were in the first century and, um, and, there was, uh, and they were taking odds, Paul would have been the least likely in our, from a human perspective. God uh, knocked him down, as it were, on, on the road to Damascus. And so if Paul can be saved, basically he's saying that anybody can be saved, any Jew. And then, of course, Elijah, again, he uses the Old Testament. So let's look at chapter uh, you go back to chapter 11, verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Um, pretty simple, right? We could just get this. I think this is pretty simple but profound. Uh, Paul wants to remind the church at Rome and, and the Jews that salvation was not merit-based, but it was based on grace and grace alone. And we've seen this since the beginning of Romans 1 all the way through. Paul's made this point that salvation is by grace, not of works. Um, Some may say to Paul, and he may be anticipating a question here, why not? Why isn't it by grace? And in verse 6, Paul, uh, notice how he argues here. If, uh, I think it's, it's pretty simple, but he says, if by grace, then it's no longer works. That's pretty obvious, right? Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If, if, it's, if there's anything involved, then it's not grace at all. There's no grace. And so Paul simplifies it here uh, as, as, he can, as simple as he can get. Some may say, Paul, why not? And Paul continues in verse 6. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. The very essence of grace is that it is not merited, it can't earn, be earned. Grace, by definition, excludes work. And so Paul, in his simplicity, but in his profound statement, if it's grace, then it must be grace. It's either grace or works. It can't be both. Um, it can't be earned. Uh, they are mutually exclusive of each other. And at the end of verse 6, Paul emphasizes this point by saying, if it were works, it can't be of grace. So he takes the negative side of it. If it's of works, it can't be of grace. And um, 
You can't have one or the other. Like I said, they're mutually exclusive. And so Paul is a master here. He takes us back and uh, reminds us that the Jews presently at his time looked like they were cast off. Uh, At the time of Christ, they looked like they had been cast off. They've been given this free offer of the gospel in chapter 10. The call is to go out and preach the gospel. By the way, the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek uh, in, in the New Testament. Uh, and then in verse 11, or chapter 11, Paul says, Has God cast away his people forever? And, and the answer is certainly not. Here's proof. I'm Paul. Here's Elijah. And salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone. It's never been by work. So I'll stop there this morning before we look at the rest of this. Um, any comments or questions? We'll pick this up next week. Tim? And that's good. Uh, again, and, and, I, and you're right, our ultimate goal is not issues, though, but to see people come to Christ. And, and that's if the issues are important, don't get me wrong. By the way, I can't tell you how to vote on issue one, but, because, uh, but if I was voting, I'd vote yes. So I'll just leave it at that. Thank you.